Well, I hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. It is 2022. Even my kids said 2021 went by fast, so I don't know. I, was, I, I don't know if it's just my age, but uh, it was a fast year for me. Uh, I don't know if you made any New Year's resolutions this year. Uh, Mike has not, uh, besides that one very lengthy one, which seemed sort of disjointed. But anyway, uh, Mike has made no New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution maker by nature. I, I've tried at various occasions. Uh, I haven't made any this year, but it's not a bad idea, I think, to think about the new year, take stock of what you'd like to change from last year, and then, and then consider how to do that. It's a good thing. Uh, I did a little research and found some of the funnier resolutions uh, that have been made this year. These are just a few. Number one, I resolved to only buy pants with elastic waistbands. Number two, I resolved to work the phrase, time will tell, into every conversation. (laughs) Number three, I resolved to sign up for a marathon and then bravely refuse to run it. I resolved to go vegan for six months, but give up in less than one week. And uh, lastly, I resolved to unfriend anyone who shares their diet or exercise plans publicly. I think those are all pretty appropriate. On a serious note, though, one of my favorite New Year's resolutions is to read through the Bible in a year. I don't know how many of you have set that as a goal this year. It's a great thing to do, to read through the entire Bible in a year. You can find a link at the bottom of our email that we send out every Monday called the Bible Monday email, and at the bottom are some different email, uh, different Bible reading plans. Uh, Feel free to check those out, and if you're not on our email list, I want to encourage you to get on it. Uh, You can always add your name. Just email Tammy, T-A-M-I, at faithbibleoc.com. And she'll send you those emails every Monday. But whether you've made New Year's resolutions or not, I want to offer you a resolution this morning, a resolution for every day of this next year and of your life. It's a resolution that we need to make every single day. And it comes from the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 9b. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 12 and verse 9 and the second half of this verse. And you notice the title of the sermon is Art Spelled Wrong. Uh, Art, A-R-T-T, a daily resolution for 2022, and we'll talk about that at the end of the sermon. But Paul, in this verse, in Romans 12, 9, gives us the second of these little commands in Romans chapter 12. They're commands for the Christian life. And this, this second half of Romans chapter 12, verse 9, look with me there, he says this, "'Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good.'" "'Abhor, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good.'" What I want us to do is just look at this command here in this list and then consider our own hearts, and hopefully my goal is to equip you to fight sin this year, to keep this resolution for God's glory. So look at me at point one if you're taking notes, hating evil and glued to good. Uh, The command here is very simple to read, actually, in one sense. It's very brief. It just says, abhor evil, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. It's very simple even in Greek. I think it's very easy Greek in one sense. Uh, He tells his readers to just hate evil and do what is good. But as you think through that idea and you start to sort of meditate on it and chew on that concept, it becomes a lot more complex than what it seems at first glance. The first thing that I want us to see is the intensity of the words that Paul is using. Look at point A with me, intense words. He uses words that are incredibly graphic in this little phrase. He uses the first word there, that word for abhor, is used only once in the New Testament. It's it's, uh, translated in the NAS and ESV as abhor, which is good. Uh, It's an older word. The CSB translates it as detest, which is also good. But really, in English, we don't have language that's strong enough to communicate what Paul is saying in this word. 
He uses the Greek word for hate, but then he attaches a prefix to it that like intensifies or doubles that idea of hatred, of hatred. And I was trying to think of some good illustrations, but this idea is just to have an absolute disgust for something. You know, I've talked a lot about my relative dislike of mushrooms. I don't love mushrooms, but if they're in something, I'll eat them. That's not the same idea. It's much worse than that. Much, much worse than that. You know, we had a rat die in our garage, and I couldn't find it for four days. Four days, we had a dead rat in our garage, and it had crawled up inside something. And you can imagine how awful that smelled. And when I found it, I pulled it out of the wall. The maggots were all already in it. Uh, I scooped it up, and as I scooped it up, it drug across the garage floor and smeared goo all over the floor. Yes. <laughs> that's gross. And that's the kind of hatred that Paul wants you to feel for this. That's what he wants you to feel when you read this word. We think of this as a small thing. We don't use the word abhor in common conversation. We think of it as a small thing. But what Paul wants us to feel is a visceral disgust for evil. A visceral disgust for what is evil. And the word he uses for cling is also incredibly graphic as well. It's a word that means to be glued to something. It's the word that's used in Matthew 19.5 for marriage, that, that a husband and wife would be joined together. And that's the same idea. It's an idea of absolute interconnectedness, a tight-knit bond of affection for something. That's what he wants us to feel. And so he wants us to have this deep revulsion, a deep dis disgust over what is evil, and a clinging, a gluing, an absolute tie and interconnected affection for what is good. That's what Paul wants us to feel in these commands. But why is that interesting? And the answer is in point B here, commanding emotions. Now, what's so interesting to me here is that Paul is commanding our emotions. He's commanding our emotions. He wants us to feel a disgust for evil. He's instructing us to feel a connected affection with good things. He wants us to hate something and to love something else. Now, this is very complex, if you think about it for a moment, it's very complex that Paul would command your emotional state. Think of that. Uh, we, don't, we don't often sort of think of our emotions this way. If you like something, no amount of coaxing will make you hate it. Uh, if you just enjoy something, you're not going to hate it, right? If you like mushrooms, I can't convince you that they're gross. There's nothing I can do to convince you of that. And on the other side, if you hate something, it's very challenging to convince a person who hates something to then like it. We all know this as parents, right? Emotions are powerful things, and Paul here is commanding our emotions to follow in a certain path. That's an amazing thing. And, and I think what pops out at me, at least when I'm reading this text, is that it's an unexpected command. Why is it unexpected? Because I think this is one of those commands that should go without saying for Christians. It should go without saying for Christians. Like, why do you even need to say this? We're, we're Christians. Why would Paul need to command this in such a visceral, intense way? Why? Why is there so much intensity in Paul when he gives this command? Of course we're supposed to turn from evil. Of course we're supposed to love and pursue what's good. 
But Paul thinks that this is an important thing to mention, and not just here, but he does it in other places too. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, he says, hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to it, hold tightly to it, and abstain from every form of evil. And so Paul is giving us a command that challenges our hearts, that deals with our emotions, and he's doing it because he knows it's necessary for us to hear. And so why is this command necessary? What makes a command like this necessary? A command on our emotions to hate something that's evil, to hate all things that are evil, and to cling to what is good. This takes us to point two, if you're taking notes, the Christian condition. The Christian condition. One of the things I love about the Bible, there are many things I love about the Bible, but one of the things I love about the Bible is how radically honest it is. The Bible is a radically honest book. I've read a lot of religious literature, and all of it is sort of cheesy and unrealistic, but the Bible is blunt and honest and real about people, about us, about me. The Bible is blunt to me. And Paul's command for our emotions here shows us that. Uh, look at this with me in point A, natural and supernatural. Even though we're Christians, and I, and I hope you're here and you're a believer, we'll talk about that in a minute, but even though we're Christians and even though we love Jesus, we find ourselves tempted, don't we? We find ourselves tempted by the world and by our own flesh and by pride. We are tempted. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know it's true. Paul understood this. He understood the radical internal struggles that happen in our hearts with sin. He understood his own internal struggles, didn't he? Paul understood the power of sin that remains in our flesh, in our unredeemed fallen humanness. Now look over in Romans 7 with me. Turn there. Romans chapter 7. We covered this a long time ago. Jason preached this section. If you look at Romans chapter 7, verse 14, notice what he says. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. I still have flesh on me. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. I want to do certain things. There's things I want to do, and I find myself doing the opposite of those things, and I hate that. Verse 17, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, my body, my physical body. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I do what I hate. I do what I hate. I don't want to sin, and yet I find myself doing things that are unrighteous. And I want to do what's right, and yet I find myself turning away from those things. And in fact, look down in verse 22. He says, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I want to obey God, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? <laughs> Paul is incredibly honest about his own struggles with temptation. What does he say? He says, I am tempted to sin. I'm tempted to sin. I, I love the law of God, but I, I find myself wrestling with sin that's still in my flesh. I, I feel it. I want to do what's right, but I struggle. 
A Christian is a complex person. We are complex people. We've been born again. We've been given new hearts, a new nature inside that wants to do what's right through the word of the gospel. And now the spirit of God dwells in us, right? We have the spirit of God dwelling inside of us. Jesus lives in us. That's a stunning thing. The supernatural dwells inside of you. God, who existed from eternity past, dwells in you who are temporal. But at the same time, as Paul said, the sinful flesh clings to us. We feel this, don't we? Do you feel this? (laughs) I do. Death entered the world through the first sin of Adam, and that death remains on me. My natural man, my old sinful self, it's still attached to my flesh. It's in me on me. (laughs) And I think if we're honest about this struggle, all of us as Christians face this. We face a wrestle with sin. Sin remains attached to us in our flesh, and until our bodies die, we will continue to fight this war with sin. We have a war to fight. So I'm no prophet or the son of a prophet, but I can tell you with 100% certainty that 2022 will be a year that will be filled with temptation for you and with a war against sin. You have to fight a war against sin this year. So how does that relate to Paul's command? This is point B here, honesty about temptation. Temptation to sin is very alluring to our sinful flesh. Temptation is very alluring to our sinful flesh. And we are pulled in by temptation into sin in this belief that something will make us happy, that something can provide for us a happiness that we are missing. We're pulled into it. And so temptation pulls on each of us. Turn over to James chapter 1. Mike read it for us this morning. James chapter 1. In these verses, starting in verse 13, we have this battle plan for sin. It's so interesting. God gives us the playbook for the opposing team, doesn't he? Look at verse 13. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. In other words, God didn't make you sin. It's not God's fault that you chose to sin. It's your own fault. And then what does James say in verse 14? For each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That's an intense statement. What's he saying about your heart, about your sin? What he's telling us is is that we are still remaining, because of sin that dwells in our flesh, we are in this war against sin. And the language he uses is equally intense. Just look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away. What what does that word mean? It's a word that's used for taking prisoner. It's taking someone away, kidnapping someone from what they long to do, what they desire to do. They're being carried away against their will and enticed. That word for enticed is a word for luring a fish. It's the word for a fishing lure. We are enticed and carried away into unrighteousness. The desires that remain in your sinful flesh, they lure you, they entice you, they pull on you, and then they drag you away into them, into that desire, which then produces sin in you. And if you're not a Christian, ultimately it results in death. 
If you think about that, you can hear the warlike language, can't you? You're being taken captive. You're being lured into something and then carried away by sin, into, by lust, into sin. Carried away and lured. But what's so interesting is what? You're being carried away and lured not by an enemy on the outside, not by an enemy who's outside of you, but on an enemy who is you. The sin that remains in your flesh has desires, and those desires pull you into sinful life patterns. We are our own worst enemies, aren't we? I am my own worst enemy. For example, when we get angry, what are we doing? What are we doing when we get angry? We believe that getting angry will help us get our way. We, we want something. We want something. And we believe that that thing that we want will make us happy. And so what do we do? We don't get it, and so we get angry, right? And we get angry because we're not getting it, and so the desire for the thing pulls us and entices us into unrighteousness, and then what comes out of our mouth is the sin of anger that is already boiled up in our hearts because our desires are not being met. We are pulled into the sin by our own internal desires, and then we express them. Or think about worldliness. Our sinful flesh craves comfort, doesn't it? It craves the things of the world. We crave those things. We long after them, external blessings. We, we want new stuff, don't we? We want new stuff. We want cars and houses and vacations and clothing. You, you want the new you, the better you, new year, new you. I mean, it's advertising, isn't it? That's all it is. We want those things. We crave them. We want better fitness, better health, better looks, better whatever. We want new security. You want a better retirement, a better portfolio. We long for those things. We crave them. And that desire, even though none of those things are sinful in themselves, that desire pulls us into sin. We lust after them. And we think that they will make us happy. And so we go after them. And that produces in us sin. We do what it takes to get the thing that we want because we think that that thing will make us happy. And this is the same pattern for all sinful behavior. I talked about anger and worldliness, but it's true about everything. Pride, lust, jealousy, deceit, cowardice, all of those come from the same root in our hearts. A desire for happiness that our sinful flesh holds out as a lure, and we go after that thing because of the sin that remains in our flesh. And so I can say with 100% certainty that 2022 will be a war for you. It will be a war against sin. You will be attacked by desires. And those desires don't only come from what's outside of you, they come from your flesh, what still remains on you. So how do we fight sin? Because Paul gives us a command here, and this command is not an empty command. He says, hate evil cling to what's good. He says, be disgusted with what's evil and be glued to what is good. How do we do this? How do we resolve to do better next year with a war that happens inside of us? And this is point three, daily resolved. The answer is that the resolution that we have to make is a resolution that we have to make not just on January 1st, not just on January 2nd, but every day. 
We have to resolve to fight sin every day. We have to resolve to do battle with the desires of our flesh moment by moment. How? How do we fight ourselves? There's two pieces to this. The first is point A, one command. And what's so interesting here is that Paul's command, even though it has two pieces, if you look back at Romans chapter 12, even though it has two pieces, he says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. In one sense, for you to do the one requires you to do the other. For you to hate what's evil requires you to cling to what is good. And for you to, ha- to cling to what is good requires you to hate what is evil. You can't just do one half of it. To love good, you have to hate evil. And to hate evil, you have to love good. Something has to be in there. Something has to be in our hearts to cherish. And this is crucial. From the earliest times of the church, people have known that Christians, that we as people are worshiping beings. We must be worshiping something, either sin or God. The great Scottish pastor and theologian Thomas Chalmers, listen to this quote, he said this, such is the grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have something to lay hold of, and which, if rested away without the substitution of another something in its place, would leave a void and a vacancy as painful to the mind as hunger is to the natural system. The heart must have something to cling to. Paul understood this. That's why he gives us this command the way that he does. Hate what's evil, but cling to what is good. That's why he frames it this way. We need to detest evil, but we also need to love good, and we must do them concurrently. It's one command. It's one command. Paul can command your emotions, and the reason for that is because you are a Christian. (laughs) You are a Christian. If you're here and you're not saved, if you're not a believer, listen, you cannot keep this command. You can't keep this command. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never truly seen the glories of Christ, you can't, you can't keep this command. You can't hate what's evil. You can't love what's good. You can try, but you will fail almost immediately. You will find yourself upside down because you cannot do it. But Paul can command our emotions. Why? Because we are Christians, because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We see and know and love God. Temptation tells us a lie, doesn't it? What's the lie of temptation? The lie of temptation is that we will be happy. That's the lie of all temptation. St. Augustine said that all men desire to be happy. And that's true. Temptation tells us a lie that we will be happy if we get a certain thing. And so we walk into sin because of the promise of happiness and getting what we desire. That's why James unfolds temptation the way that he does around desires, around cravings of the heart. But Jesus tells us the truth, doesn't he? Sin tells us a lie, but Jesus tells us the truth. What Jesus tells us is that we have true and lasting happiness in him alone. That nothing in this world will ever make you happy. Nothing in your, in your life will ever give you the kind of satisfaction that you crave for. The only way to have that is in Christ. And so the only way to battle, to truly battle the sin and the, and the temptation that's in your life today and throughout this year is with Jesus. You cannot fight sin in your own efforts. I cannot fight sin in my own efforts. I can't do it. Why? Because it's me. I'm the problem. 
And so I can't have any power to fight sin because I am the broken thing that's causing all of the problem. The only way for me to fight sin is to fight it in Christ. We have to fight sin, not by ourselves, but with a better thing. We have to fight sin with a happier thing. This is Chalmers again. Listen to what he says. He says, the best way to overcome the world is not with morality or self-discipline. Christians overcome the world by seeing the beauty and excellence of Christ. They overcome the world by seeing something more attractive than the world, Christ. The way to obey this command, the way to hate what is evil and cling to what is good is in Jesus. That's the only way to do this. Cling to Christ and everything that he's called us to. And when we do that, what happens? We hate the world. We hate evil. We hate anything that would get in the way of our vision of Jesus because he's the best thing. He is the thing that makes us happy. Nothing else outside of us. Nothing else can make us happy because we're so happy and satisfied in Christ. And if I find myself sinning, what have I done? What I've done is I've turned my back on Christ and I've sought my happiness elsewhere. What do I need to do? I need to replace that thing with Christ so that I am happy in Him and Him alone. And so clinging to Christ and hating what is evil are really just one command. But there's a problem here, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's still a command. Yes, cling to Christ, that's true, but it's still a command. So your question to me should be, okay, but I still find myself sinning. I know that. I still find myself sinning. How do I get my sinful heart to do that? How do I get my sinful heart to move that way? Because even though I want to do what's right, I find myself with Paul in Romans 7. I long to do what's good, but I still find myself doing the opposite because sin is still in my flesh. So how? How Beyond just personal resolve to do something, how do I stop sinning? And this is point B here, a faith-fueled fight. Faith-fueled fight. The way out of Romans 7 for you today and for the rest of this year, and the way out of Romans 7 for me, is to get our hearts to love Christ and hate sin. But how do we do that? We do it by seeing the glory of Jesus. The only way for you to find joy in Christ is by seeing him with the eyes of your heart. When we see the beauty and the glory and the loveliness of Jesus, what comes out of us? A love for him, a love for him. And when we love him because he is the best thing that we have ever seen and experienced, what will we do? We will hate evil. We will hate it. Why? Because it takes away from him. He's the best. If, I, if I've got the very best thing, anything that gets in the way of the very best thing, I will despise. I will hate it like that dead rat in my garage. It will be disgusting to me because it's taking me away from the thing that I love. So how do we see him? How do we see him? How do we taste and see that the Lord is good, as David said in Psalm 34, 8? How do we see the glory of Jesus? And ultimately, the answer's in the gospel. The answer's in the gospel. I see the beauty of God, how? Through his love for me at the cross. 
I'm a wretched sinner. My heart is so prone to wander. I I move toward unrighteousness so quickly. It's so easy for me to be proud and sinful and angry and lustful and worldly. That's who I am. And yet, what did Christ do for me? He took those sins off of me. All of that hell that I rightfully deserved, eternity under the wrath of God, he took off of me and he placed it on his son. And he crushed his son for my iniquities. He bruised him for my evils. The only way for me to see the glory of Jesus is through his loving death in my place. And that's what Paul says all through the New Testament, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, just look there. We see the glory of Christ where? We see it in the gospel. That's where we see it. That's what he's saying there. And that's why Paul's answer to Romans 7 is Romans 8, 1, isn't it? What's Romans 8, 1? You should have this memorized. If you don't memorize it, and then after you memorize it, memorize it again. There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation for me. Why? Because I have Christ. I'm in him. His righteousness is mine. I've been declared righteous by him in spite of the fact that I'm not. I've been declared righteous. That's a remarkable thing. And if I have that righteousness in me because of what Christ has done for me, it's an alien righteousness, not my own. When I believe, I see that. What happens? I see the love of Christ for me. A wicked sinner for whom Christ died. And when I see the beauty of Jesus, what happens? It's better than what the world can offer, isn't it? Jesus is better than what the world offers you. If you're a Christian, you know this. If you're sitting here and you're confused and you're like, I'm not sure what that means that seeing the glory of Christ is better than the world, then listen, you might not be saved. You might not be a Christian. If if you hear that and you think to yourself, huh, how is the beauty of Jesus better than the world? Then you might not be a Christian. Consider whether or not you're truly saved. Seeing the glory of Christ is far better than any allurement that the world can offer me. And it gives me a happiness that exceeds any happiness I could possibly enjoy in this world. So what is the fight against sin? At the end of the day, the fight against sin is a fight to cling to Jesus. Because I see him. It's a fight for faith to believe the truths of the gospel. To believe them. I need faith. So what do we need this year? We need faith if we're going to fight sin. And where does faith come from? (laughs) Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word about Christ. What do I need? I need to hear the gospel. I need to ingest it. I need to ingest this truth over and over and over again. So let's just break this down. Our resolution this year is an emotional one. God wants you to love something and hate something else. He wants you to despise something and to love something else. He wants you to love and cling to Jesus and to hate and despise evil. And yet you are fighting a war against your flesh that does the exact opposite of that. It loves the world and it hates the Spirit and Christ. And so how do we fight the war? Well, we said by seeing Jesus... But practically, let's break this down. I want to give you four steps to remember in temptation. In moments of temptation, what do you do? In that moment when you're tempted to be angry, 
when you're tempted to be resentful, when you're tempted to be bitter, when you're tempted to be unkind, when you're tempted to be lustful, when you're tempted by the world, what do you do to overcome sin? Because you can't just say, well, I'm going to overcome it and it's fine. The gospel washes me clean. It's fine. It's not a big deal. I can sin as much as I want. I have Christ. No, I have Christ. Therefore, I will fight my sin and seek to walk in a way that honors him in righteousness. So what do I do? And the first thing that I have to do is acknowledge. This is the A. Acknowledge to God that temptation is powerful in me and that I am lured by it. I have to acknowledge James 1.14. I have to say, you know what? I am tempted at this moment. This is true. There's something that is trying to pull me away and it has a lure in my heart and I am like a dumb trout looking at that lure wanting to eat it. That's who we really are. That's what the... That's what the Puritans knew, didn't they? You know the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? We're going to sing it at the end here. What does, he say? what does he say in that hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's who we are. I'm prone to it. So what do I have to do? I have to acknowledge, Lord, I am tempted right now. I'm tempted by anger. I'm tempted by self-righteousness. I'm tempted by pride. I'm tempted by self-pity. This is tempting me. I have to be honest with that. So the first thing I have to do is acknowledge it. Second, I need to remind myself that sin is a lie. I need to remind myself that sin is a lie. I will not be happier if I give in to worldliness. I will not be happier if I give in to anger. I will not be happier if I give in to lust. I will not be happier if I sin. In fact, it will only make me more and more sorrowful. It's lying to me. I have to remind myself that Jesus loves me and that his presence is better than my life. <laughs> that, his, that his glory is better than anything that the world could offer me and that I've tasted it before and that, yes, I'm being tempted right now, but I know it's better to stay with Christ. I've tasted that in the past. So in a moment of temptation, I have to acknowledge that it's true, that I'm being tempted. And second, I have to remind myself that sin is a lie and that Jesus is better. And the third thing I have to do is turn. I have to turn from that sin because of what I know to be true about God and about his love for me. I have to turn. I have to say, no, I'm not going to do this. I have to. Why? Because that's what it is to be a Christian. If I say acknowledge and, and remind, and then we leave turn out, it doesn't work. <laughs> the point of this command in Romans 12, 9 is that we would abhor what is evil and that we would cling to what is good. I have to turn from what is sinful, what is tempting me in that moment, and turn back to Christ and say, no, I will worship you. You are the thing that makes me happy, and I will worship you. How do we turn in that moment? Well, it might mean getting up from your desk and walking away. It might mean calling a friend or texting someone and asking for prayer. It might mean turning off whatever it is that you're looking at, the dangerous thing that's in front of you. It might mean turning in your heart and saying, please give me a moment. I'm sinning in anger and I don't want to sin. I want to do what's right. Please give me a moment. I need to pray and repent for my heart attitude. It might mean never watching another commercial again. <laughs> but you turn from that sin because of what you know to be true about God and his love for you. 
And when you turn, when you stand up, when you walk away, when you remove yourself, what do you do? The last T, you thank him for helping you to flee that sin. You thank him. Why? Because you didn't do that. (laughs) Jesus did that in you. You acknowledge that you couldn't do it. You reminded yourself of what Christ has done for you and how he's better. You turn from that sin because of the beauty of Christ. And so you thank him for showing you himself. So think of this as the art of fighting sin. This has to be our daily resolution. We have to battle sin. We have to acknowledge, yes, I'm tempted, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that sin won't make me happy. It'll make me sad. And then we have to turn from it and thank him as we do so. Listen, I know, and you know, temptation is moving fast, isn't it? When you're tempted in moments like that, temptation is moving quickly at you and it's offering all sorts of reasons and justifications and all sorts of things. What do we do in that moment? We cut through all of that and we say, no, I won't do this. I know Christ is better. Sometimes you have to do this over and over and over again. Every five seconds, every moment battling against your own sinful flesh. But listen, if you're here and you're a Christian, you have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. You can do this. You have the power to turn from sin this year because Jesus lives inside of you, because you know him and you've tasted and seen that he is better than what the world offers. So what do we do to fight sin? The art of fighting sin, right? And that is and that has to be our resolution. Today, this afternoon, and tomorrow, And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, every day when we get up, we have to do this. But praise God, we're not left to ourselves. We have Christ. This is his longing for us and he will not let us go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son. Lord, we thank you that he loves us. Lord, when we do fail, which we know we will, Lord, when we do fail, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, for very reason, we have the power to turn. Lord, we have the power to fight sin. Lord, we acknowledge that temptation is strong in us, that it's so easy for us to stumble. But Lord, we are reminded again that the world cannot give us joy, that the only thing that can give us any lasting happiness is your Son, seeing your glory through him and his love for us once and for all demonstrated at the cross where he died for us so that all of our sins, past, present, and even future will be forgiven and are already completely washed away. And so Lord, my prayer for us as a church this morning is that we would turn from sin, that we would fight it Yes, we are tempted, but we know Christ and therefore we will turn from sin. We will walk in holiness. Lord, we will hate what is evil. We will cling to what is good because it is better for us in spite of all the temptation that the world can throw at us. And Lord, as we do that, we thank you for the power that dwells in us through Christ. Lord, we pray that his name is honored as we seek to live in this way. In his name we pray, amen.